الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف المرسلين سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم My respected elders, brothers in Islam The intellectual tradition that we as Muslims have been have inherited from our pious predecessors is something that really we should be amazed at. If we look at the details that we have about the life of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the details that we have about the lives of Sahaba radiallahu anhum, there are very, very few traditions that can ever boast something that's even close to this. And this in itself is a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He presented for us the lives of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum so we can look at it, it's there in front of us, it's there for us to access and we can take benefit from it. And one of those Sahaba whom a lot is written about is Suhaib al-Rumi radiallahu an. And Suhaib al-Rumi, contrary to what his name suggests, is actually he was from Yemen, he worked with his father in the Persian Empire, in the government, and eventually when he was a youngster, the Romans came, they attacked the Persians, they took his family as captive, and he grew up for a bit under the Roman Empire, and thus he is known as al-Rumi. Eventually now, a tribe from the Arabian Peninsula bought him, they brought, they brought him down to Makkatul Mukarrama, and he lived the rest of his life there. He became a very wealthy person, he was a very skilled and able trader, an able merchant, and he amassed quite a fortune. And whilst he was in Makkatul Mukarrama, the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam announced the message of Islam, proclaimed the message of Islam. And Suhaib al-Rumi, according to some historians, was from amongst the first seven people to accept Islam. And eventually he lived under those difficult conditions in Makkatul Mukarrama, where the mushrikeen were, of course, putting the believers through quite a lot of pressure, through quite a lot of difficulty. And the command came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after some time that the Muslims should now migrate to Madinatul Munawwara. And the Sahaba radiallahu anhum begin migrating. Eventually even Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam migrates. And Suhaib al-Rumi is one of the last people to migrate to Madina Munawwara. And the story of his hijrah really encapsulates for us the struggle that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum had to undergo, had to really go through in order to preserve the iman. So Suhaib al-Rumi was wealthy and he begins his journey from Makkah to Mukarrama to Madina to Munawwara. Along the way the mushrikeen of Makkah gather some people and they are determined to stop him from migrating. They don't want him to join the ranks of the Muslims. So imagine this decision that he made. He has to leave what has now become his homeland. He has to leave his house, he has to leave his properties. He has to leave his friends, he has to move lock, stock and barrel. He has to go to Madina Munawwara with nothing on him except what his one conveyance can carry. And he bring, he has the courage to make this decision. And while he is on the way, there's a mini army there trying to stop him and bring him back. And Suhaib al-Rumi eventually turns around and he tells them that, you know, I'm a proficient archer, and I'm not going to stop until I empty all of my arrows, and whatever happens after that happens. And then he realizes that these people too are not going to stop, so he makes a bargain with them. And he had left some money in Makkah to Mukarramah with the hope that, you know, one day... If things happen, I can get this money sometime, perhaps all is not lost. But now he sees that the only way for him to make this hijrah is he bargains with the mushrikeen and he tells them that, I will tell you where this money is, you can take it, it's yours, just let me make hijrah to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
And the mushrikeen agreed to this because it was a substantial amount of money. And he enters Madinatul Munawwara and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sees him coming from a distance. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is informed of what he had gone through. And when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sees him coming there, having left everything, he got nothing on him. He got nothing to his name except what he has on his body at the moment and his iman. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam tells him that Rabi'al bay'u ya Aba Yahya. What a profitable transaction you made today. That you gave up everything. Technically, financially, monetarily, you lost everything. You didn't gain anything. But if you really look at it, you lost all of that, but you gained the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You secured your akhirah, and in that you gained everything. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam tells him, Rabi al-bay'u ya Aba Yahya. And this mindset, this understanding, is what Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has conveyed to us. That Allah protect us, if something has to happen, we have to lose everything. But at the end of the day, we know we secured our iman, we secured our jannah, then that is a profitable transaction. And it's something we know in the back of our minds, but we also know that the reality on the ground is very different. We can say that, you know, it's, it, if we lose everything, but we have our iman, then it's a good transaction. But the reality on the ground is it's very different. The world is, is a place that sucks you in, that draws you in, that deludes you, that deceives you, until you forget the reality of death, you forget the reality of standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explained this to us in the Quran, in the ayah, Zuyyina lil-nasi hubbu shahawati min nisai wal bani ila akhirin ayah. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that this world and everything it contains has been beautified for us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, He knows this. It's very, it's very attractive to us, having a lot of property, having, having women, having children, having fast cars. All of this is something that's beautiful to us. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that these are all things which are going to delude you and deceive you from the reality of the hereafter. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has given us a very, very powerful antidote, a very powerful way for us to extricate ourselves from being trapped in this world. And that is that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he told the Sahaba, he commanded the Sahaba, and by extension he commanded us, that أَكْثِرُوا ذِكْرَ هَذِمِ That constantly and frequently remember that thing which is going to cut off all pleasures, and that is death. And what Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is telling us here is far beyond just simply being scared of dying and worrying about dying. It's much bigger and broader than that. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is telling us, put things into perspective. Don't fixate on death, but rather understand that the, the life of this world is going to terminate. It's coming to an end. The most certain thing that you know right now is that one day you're going to die. And one of the most uncertain things is when it's going to happen. So when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam tells us to constantly remember death, he's telling us to constantly put things into perspective and realize that there's many stages in your life. There was a stage before you came into this world. There's two stages. You're going to go into the grave after this. You're going to be on the day of Qiyamah. You're going to be in Jannah. Inshallah for all of us, we're going to be in Jannah for eternity. Those are the many stages, the long-lasting stages. This is just one of those stages. Put these things into perspective. And the ulama give an example. They give an example of a man who's perhaps living a thousand years ago and his job is to collect wood in the jungle. And one day whilst he's collecting wood in the jungle, he sees a lion, the lion begins chasing him and this man begins fleeing from the lion. And as he's fleeing from the lion, he realizes that the lion is going to catch him up so he sees a well, he jumps into the well. As he's falling down this well, he catches onto the rope and he thinks to himself, okay, you know what, I'm okay. He looks down, he sees a massive serpent at the bottom of the well. He looks up, the lion is still there, but he thinks to himself, I can at least hold on until the lion goes away. 
And then when he looks up again, he sees that there's two mice eating away at the rope. From one side, the one is eating away, the other side, the other one is eating away. And he thinks to himself, now I'm finished. And whilst he's in the situation, he looks to the side of the wall of the well, and he sees that there's a honeycomb. And he thinks to himself that, you know what, I'm finished as it is. What's the problem if I just try this honey, I just enjoy it? So he puts his finger into the honeycomb, he puts the sweet honey into his mouth, he enjoys the honey, and in that one moment when he's enjoying the honey, he's savoring the sweet taste, he forgets about the snake, he forgets about the lion, he forgets about the mice, he forgets about his entire situation, he's enjoying himself there. And the ulama explained that that's the example of us in this world. That while we're here, we're enjoying ourselves, we're talking, we're trying to get as much as we can, we forget about that the grave that's waiting below us. We forget about the fact that death is chasing us. We forget about the fact that the days and nights are eating away at our life, just like those mice were eating away at the rope. Why? Because we're just getting sucked in by something which is not even going to last, it's not even going to last in a considerable amount of time. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an, He explains to us the fate of those people who in this short life, they chose to favor their desires over the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us and He paints for us a picture of what's going to happen on the day of Qiyamah so that we who are living here in the world today, we don't let that same situation happen to us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the Qur'an, وَلَوْ تَرَى إِذِنْ مُجْرِمُونَ نَاكِسُوا رُؤُوسِهِمْ عِنْدَ رَبِّهِمْ That O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and O believers also, that if only you could see now on the day of Qiyamah when everything is done and dusted, when everyone realized now what's the truth. And you see the mujrimun, those people who disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this world. You see them nakisur usim, they're hanging their heads in shame because they know now that, you know, things, things, it's, 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 they finish now. And they tell Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they implore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they beg Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they say, Rabbana absarna wa sami'na farji'na. That, oh Allah, now we saw the truth. Now we realize that whatever we did in this world, we were wrong, we were doing the wrong thing. But oh Allah, now farji'na. Just send us back. Give us one more chance. Please, they'll, they'll be begging Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in multiple places in the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala paints this picture for us. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that these people on this day, they will completely regret everything they did in this world. And they will beg to go back for that second chance. They will say, inna muqinun. Now we have complete conviction. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is explaining to us that mankind, you are in the position that those people on that day will wish they can be in. You right now, every single one of us right now, we in their second chance. So don't let it be such that you pass this up after having been warned and you go there and now you're begging Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to come back and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Kalla, impossible, you can never come back. What's done is done, what's done is done. But now, in this world, we have the chance to change that. And this is something that we need to internalize, we need to really think about it. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam explains it in a hadith, in a very beautiful way, he puts things into perspective. And he tells us of another situation that will occur on the day of Qiyamah. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Yukta bi an'ami ahli dunya min ahli nari al Qiyamah. That on the day of Qiyamah, that person who had the best life in this world, every day of his was according to what he wanted. He had everything you can ever imagine. Whatever any human being could desire, he had it in this world. But at the same time, 
He was from the people of Jahannam. He did the actions of the people of Jahannam. He will be brought after a lifetime of enjoying everything you can ever imagine. He'll be brought on the day of Qiyamah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam conveys to us, فَيُسْبَغُ فِي جَهَنَّمْ صَبْغَةً He'll be taken and dipped in Jahannam for one second. Just one dip in Jahannam. He will be brought after that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask him that your entire existence, you enjoyed everything of the best. Now one dip in Jahannam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks him, have you ever experienced anything good in your entire existence? Did you ever enjoy yourself in your entire existence? This person will say, La, I never enjoyed nothing. I never, I never tasted enjoyment in my entire existence. Yet he had everything of the best in this world. On the contrary, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam explains to us, يُؤْتَى بِأَشَدِّ النَّاسِ بُؤْسًا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ That that person who had the worst life in this world, that ever from every single human being who ever lived, he had the worst life. Sickness, whatever you can possibly imagine, he had that. He had nothing to go with, nothing was going for him in this world. Every day was miserable for him. But he was from the people of Jannah. He did the actions of the people of Jannah. He will be brought on the day of Qiyamah after that miserable life, so to say, in this world. He will be brought on the day of Qiyamah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam explains to us, فَيُسْبَغُ فِي الْجَنَّةِ صَبْغَةً He will be put into Jannah for one second. He will just be put there and taken out. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask him, did you ever experience any misery in your entire existence in this world? Did you, do you have any recollection of going through anything difficult in this world? This, this person will say, wallahi la. I never experienced any difficulty in my entire existence. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is putting things into perspective for us here. And what we need to take away from this is not that we have to renounce the entire world or we have to give up all of our possessions and only focus on the year after. That's not the message Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are giving us. The message that they are giving us is priorities prioritize the year after over this world in every single facet of your life. That this understanding that they have conveyed to us of the eternity of the year after and the shortness of this world should inform every decision we make in this world. And one of those facets of our life, one of those spheres, and that's what I really wanted to talk about today, is when we're dealing with children, we're dealing with youngsters. That many times today, when a person, when a parent is with his child and he's looking towards his child's future, the only thing this parent sees is, you know what, he has enough money, he did well in school, he got a good job, alhamdulillah, he got a good house. And all of those things, they're very important. No one is, no one is taking away, denigrating the importance of any of those things. But at the same time, we need to understand for our children's sake that today, what a child has to go through in, when he's young is very, very, very different from what people were going through, children were going through 20 years ago. Today a child got a phone in his room in privacy with no human being watching him on his father's Wi-Fi. He can access whatever he wants on his phone. He can watch, watch whatever he wants, whatever his mind can dream of. He can, it's there on his phone for him to see. Right now he can access it. So can you imagine that a youngster at that age, what fortitude he has to have to be able to stop himself at that time? Now we need to ask ourselves as elders and as parents in the community that have we prepared our children to be able to resist such a temptation? Ask any youngster, he opens Instagram on the explore page, he opens TikTok, whatever social media, what is not hitting him in the face? What is he not seeing? What temptation is not there in front of him? And it's the parent's job in this case to make sure that I train my child such that he can withstand this. And if he can't withstand this, I don't expose him to this here. Because this will take away from his iman. 
And personal experience, I'm telling you so many times I've seen a parent, his child maybe didn't get a good mark in grade 1 or 2. Honestly speaking, he got 60 instead of 18 grade 1 or 2. And the child is, uh, the parent is up in arms, he's, comp- he's complaining to the teacher uh, that the mother's thinking what's going to happen to the future of my child, she won't be able to keep up with the other children. Another person I know, the, child, the son is in grade 3, he, got, he failed his project in Afrikaans in grade 3, and the parent is worried, the figure is there, the concern is there, what's going to happen to my child? But on the other hand, the child, they know that the child is not reading his salah willingly. He's only reading his salah if you're forcing him. He got no interest in Quran. He got no interest in the deen. And then nothing's happening inside. No one's thinking that what am I going to do? How am I going to change this? How am I going to bring about something here? Because this is the next generation of Muslims. So the first thing that parents need to do is they need to prioritize the well-being of the child in the year after over the well-being of the child in this world while still concerned about the well-being of the child in this world. The second thing is, parents need to be there for their children. And nowadays, children, when they, from, the chi- uh, from the age of about 6 to 12, 13, that's the age when they're still looking up to their father as the hero. They still, they still take him as someone, you know, who I look up to. So from that age, be there with them. Take them for all their salah. Take them for fajr salah. You can take them for cricket and soccer as well. But take them for all of their salah at least. You have to be doing that. You have to be taking them there. You have to be giving tahalim every day. You have to be giving them a good tarbiyat. So you know that when eventually when they do grow up, and you can't shelter them forever. They're going to grow up. They're going to have to face the world. You know that you gave them such a solid upbringing, they're going to be ready for it. So the, the parents have to do that. Too often you see, the child is at school, the parents at work. At night, the child is on his phone, the, pa- the father is also on his phone. In the weekend, the father is with the friends, the children is with his friends. What happens five, ten years down the line, the child has a problem, he's addicted to something. Allah protect us, he has doubts about his iman. And then what happens now, people are worried. Now people are bringing him to the alim. They're telling him, what are we going to do? Now it's so late. I won't say it's too late, but it's so late. The real time was the formative years of the child, from the age of 6 to the age of 12, to really, really make his tarbiyat at that age. So we need to understand this, we need to be there for our children. One thing is, we don't worry about them, we let them do whatever they want. That also is wrong. And at the same time, you're so strict on them, they can't ask you questions. Children at that age, they have concerns, they have worries, they have doubts as well. They need someone to confide in. If you're going to be so strict as a parent, and you're not there to talk to them, then there's thousands of people on the internet that are ready to give them advice. There's thousands of people, their friends, social media, people who have no qualifications to give them advice, who are going to give them advice. So the parent has to be there for the child at that stage of his life. The third thing that should be done is to control his environment. If you really look at it, a parent gets one hour, two hours with his child every day, maximum three hours. It's eight hours in school, it's six hours with his phone and his friends. So you have to control what you can control. Make sure that his schooling, the environment in which he's going to school is a good environment. Make sure that you filter who he's interacting with. That he can't just be having free, complete access to whatever social media, whatever internet he wants. You have to control this in some way or the other whilst he's still young. The fourth thing is connect him to some pious person or alim. I'm not saying take him for a dhikr majlis every week, but make him, you know, make him acquainted with some alim, someone who can talk to, because there's certain questions he has, he won't be able to ask you as a parent, no matter how close you are to him. So he has to have a third person that he can ask certain questions to, he can ask mashura from. Someone young also he can talk to, he can interact with, he can trust this person. You have to provide that outlet for him as well. And just to conclude now, that in this era that we're living in, in this time that we're living in, the zeitgeist, the mentality that the West has that has filtered down to South Africa is that the metrics that we use to measure our success as parents are the metrics of whether our child is wealthy, whether our child 
has a nice job, whether our child has a nice house. And we as Muslims in South Africa, we need to put our foot down and say that we recognize these things are important. No one's denying that those things are important. Everyone needs those things. But we as Muslims have one other metric, one other standard of success, which is the piety and the taqwa of the child. That if the child was low in every other metric, he wasn't so successful, he maybe can't go overseas for holiday every year, but I know he got taqwa and he got piety, he's reading his salah, he's concerned about that, then I as a parent, you know what, I can, I can rest at ease a bit. I'll be worried about his dunya also, but I can rest at ease. But on the other hand, if he passed every other metric with flying colors, he was so successful, but you know he's not reading his salah, you know he's not adhering to the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know he's not doing the bare minimum, then you need to really look at what you're doing, you need to look at new ways of tackling this year, you can't just give up and leave it at that, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows this is a responsibility, it's a great responsibility, the youngsters of any community, the responsibility lies on the parents and the elders of the community. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us tawfiq, to make sure that, you know what, all our youngsters are saved from the fitan that are, that, are, that are so prevalent today, and that all of the elders of the community can do their jobs to provide halal outlets for our youngsters. There's so much of halal to enjoy. There's absolutely no need for anyone to have to look towards haram for enjoyment. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for tawfiq wa akhiru dawan alhamdulillah.